May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. On this week's episode, you are going to learn more about sleep and fibromyalgia. We will be focusing on restless leg syndrome and periodic limb movement disorder. These occur commonly with fibromyalgia, and treatment of these can help reduce the suffering by those who have fibromyalgia. Thank you again for joining the Fibromyalgia Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician, an internal medicine doctor, and a lifestyle medicine physician. I also authored the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All symptoms and signs should be discussed with your doctor. This podcast can be used as a starting point on your journey going from just learning to live but to even conquering, to reducing the suffering that you're having, and possibly even to the level of those who are unaffected by fibromyalgia. This podcast is meant for you if you have fibromyalgia, for your loved ones who don't have fibromyalgia but want to learn more about it to help you recover and get better, and for physicians who just haven't had much training on fibromyalgia but want to learn more. Treatment of fibromyalgia is one of the most rewarding types of problems I take care of. And now on to this week's episode. One of the things that does occur more often in those who have fibromyalgia is restless leg syndrome. And what are the symptoms of restless leg syndrome? And can you just talk about that? Yeah. So restless leg syndrome is basically that creepy crawling sensation in your legs or the urge that you have to move your legs. But the minute that you move your legs, is that, that sensation disappears with it. It occurs in about 5 to 15% of the U.S. population. It tends to be worse in the evenings than during the day and worse the longer you are laying down. It is strictly, you just have that kind of anxious, you need to move your legs with it. Restless legs tends to be a lot of genetic factors in it. So it tends to run a lot of families with it. Low iron is really one of the biggest culprits. The younger you are, when you get diagnosed with restless leg, the more likely it is to be genetic. It's important to ask family members if they have symptoms of restless leg as well, not only for you to gain insight for yourself, but also get a sense if this is a genetic problem. They may not necessarily say they have restless leg, but they may admit that they've been a lifelong night owl and insomniac and they can't sleep, or they may recall one of their parents who was up late and always got up early 
and could be heard walking around the house early in the morning before everyone else. It is a good idea to routinely check for iron deficiency by checking a ferritin level. You can also get a complete blood count looking at the hemoglobin and hematocrit, as well as checking a serum iron concentration as well. So one of the easiest ways to fix restless legs is actually increasing your iron, which you can do with over-the-counter iron supplements. The problem with that is it can cause constipation. So I always say, you know, A, take it with vitamin C because it helps with the absorption um, of the iron. And then just be aware that it can cause constipation. So make sure you're taking stool softeners with it as well. If it's really significantly low and I have really severe restless leg case. I actually do iron transfusions, which can bypass the GI tract so we don't get the constipation to really get those. And it's interesting because once we do like an iron transfusion is it can actually keep those iron levels up quite a while and their restless legs almost instantly disappear. We can use medications to treat it and we kind of use a variety of different types of medications. A lot of old seizure medications or Parkinson medications are kind of what we use for it. But yeah, it was interesting. The articles that we kind of sent before we talked today is I guess I didn't realize how much of a crossover there was actually between fibromyalgia and restless legs. There were a couple of studies that I shared. One study looked at at patients who had fibromyalgia. There were 332 women between 20 and 60. All were diagnosed with fibromyalgia syndrome. They answered a questionnaire mailed to their home address. The questionnaire consisted of the International Restless Leg Syndrome Study Group criteria as well as questions concerning symptoms of insomnia and daytime sleepiness measured according to the Epworth Sleepiness Scale. The results show that nearly 64% of the women were also suffering from restless leg syndrome. These are women, again, who had fibromyalgia. More patients suffering from both restless leg syndrome and fibromyalgia were affected by problems of initiating and maintaining sleep than those suffering from fibromyalgia syndrome only. And more patients suffering from Restless leg and fibromyalgia syndrome did not feel refreshed on awakening compared with those suffering from fibromyalgia without restless leg. Those who had combination of both were often more hypersomnolent. That is, they were much more sleepy during the day than those who just had fibromyalgia alone without restless leg syndrome. Another study looked at finding the prevalence of restless leg syndrome in patients with fibromyalgia and to detect the effect of fibromyalgia and restless leg on the quality of sleep and just quality of life in general. The study looked at the presence and severity of restless leg syndrome detected in patients with the fibromyalgia syndrome and Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index PSQI and looked at the Epworth Sleepiness Scale and the Fibromyalgia Impact Questionnaire Scores. And all in all of those were measured. 115 women with the average age of 49 were included in the study. And in 43% of the patients, there was restless leg coexisting with fibromyalgia. Restless leg was 
classified as moderate in 43% of the patients and severe in 49% of the patients with fibromyalgia syndrome and restless leg syndrome sleep quality, daytime sleepiness, and quality of life were more severely impaired compared to those who had only fibromyalgia alone. And the prevalence of restless leg syndrome was found higher in fibromyalgia patients than the normal population, and the quality of sleep and quality of life were worse in patients with restless leg syndrome. The conclusions of this were that the presence of restless leg should be investigated in every patient with fibromyalgia and treatment plans should also cover restless leg syndrome in the case of coexistence with fibromyalgia syndrome. That yeah. I, I learned something. <laughs> well, and I think there's so much overlap with a lot of these symptoms. Fibromyalgia is a problem that falls at the intersection of every specialty. And there's no true specialist. I often say that rheumatologists may make the diagnosis, but they aren't really going to take comprehensive care because you don't, quote, have a real problem in the sense of a real inflammatory rheumatologic problem that they would traditionally take care of, even though it's the second most common problem that they diagnose. And for many people, I think the there's a strong dopamine hypothesis. And we know that with fibromyalgia and often comorbid ADHD, there's that dopamine deficiency that seems to play a role. The lay diagnosis for children is often growing pains. If you are an athlete in middle school and you're doing a lot of jumping and you have pain over the patellar tendon insertion while you're jumping and while you're running and when you get home and you lay on the couch and you lay down in bed at night and you rest, that's a growth plate that's having a lot of stress causing pain or in the heel because you're doing a lot of running and jumping until they go through puberty and the growth plates fuse, that's a, quote, growing pain. But a growing pain where you have pain at night or let's say discomfort in many people who have this can't get into that deeper sleep and it overlaps with that, will then many or most get into that movement throughout the night and can interfere with getting into that deep restorative sleep. That movement throughout the night is called periodic leg movement syndrome. It occurs in about 85% of those with restless leg syndrome that leads to disruption of the sleep throughout the night and daytime fatigue. Partners will notice that they'll have jerking and leg movements of their legs. Also, could be their arms and their whole body is moving throughout the night. Continued difficulty falling asleep can lead to maladaptive behaviors or coping strategies where people will be on their phones just to distract their brain. They might be writing or reading just to keep their mind off the mental anguish and distress of not being able to fall asleep. Many parents may get mad at the children because they don't want to turn off the light and read, or they don't want to turn off their iPad or iPhone. It's nothing worse than being awake and your body not letting you physically fall asleep than being so bored and yet tired at the same time. And it can be so exhausting. An interesting thing is checking those ferritin and iron levels. And the most common find uh, group that I find where you need, I need to do transfusions. And actually this overlaps with fibromyalgia, interestingly, are people who have gastric bypass surgery. A study looked at how common fibromyalgia 
was in those who were undergoing bariatric surgery, also known as gastric bypass surgery, and they found that 45% of them met the criteria. Because there's a high correlation of gastric bypass surgery in, with ADHD and fibromyalgia. Close to half of those who had bariatric or gastric bypass surgery end up developing iron deficiency. It's periodically, whether twice a year or every couple of years, having to get that iron infusion, having to make sure they come and get those regular yearly checks. The other interesting thing is when I have somebody who presents with RLS symptoms, I remember an elderly patient I had, and she had classic RLS symptoms she was describing. And for many people with sleep disorders or chronic problems like fibromyalgia, they assume it's normal to be in pain and tired all the time. And I thought, well, you've had, so how long have you had this for? Oh, just a couple of weeks. Are you sure it's just a couple of weeks? You're, you know, 76 years old. Are you sure? And she's like, yeah, it just started a couple of weeks ago. It turned out she actually had a bleeding ulcer. I checked her CBC and she had lost half of her blood volume. Uh, Hemoglobin dropped in half. And she had obviously severe, I sent her to the hospital. She was cured with a getting her uh, ulcer treated and blood transfusion. And then when she came in a couple years later with her restless leg symptoms, I right away said, you don't look good. She, now you, you know, when you see pale, you're like, okay, I'm sending you to the hospital. And she had black tarry stools, melanoma that is suggestive of a bleeding ulcer from the stomach. So it's an interesting thing, a new onset that isn't truly chronic, like Many adult patients will often say, I think 40% had symptoms in childhood that were blown off by their parents. Oh, you're fine. You're growing. And I think after a while, kids just stop complaining. They just normalize their abnormality. And the other thing I just said, over the winter, a couple of patients within a week, both of them were women, perimenopausal, who were having very heavy bleeding. And they both came in with worsening restless leg symptoms that were pretty high, highly worsening. And again, they both were found to be significantly anemic. Another group is always checking that there may be celiac disease and they don't absorb and iron deficiency related to that. But those are interesting things that happen in the mix. All of these can happen and together that can aggravate and intensify restless leg and or intensify then leading to worsening fibromyalgia symptoms. What insights have you learned so far? You've learned about restless leg syndrome. You've learned about iron deficiency. You learned about the genetics of restless leg syndrome. You hopefully know that now periodic limb movement syndrome occurs more often with restless leg syndrome and that a lot of people who have fibromyalgia have underlying restless leg syndrome. And if you have both of those, it's probably worse. Interestingly, conditions that can be connected with iron deficiency that leads to restless leg syndrome include bariatric surgery, which also has a connection with ADHD. What if you wanted to try to induce, try to cause fibromyalgia symptoms simply by impacting the quality of sleep? Well, this actually was done, and next we are going to listen to the discussion on two of these studies. In one of the studies that I saw that I sent you, two of them, there was one in the 1970s and one in 1998 that were published. It was a small study where they took healthy college students 
and put them in a sleep lab and they block their non-REM or deep sleep Mm -hmm. for three nights. And they were able to actually Mm -hmm. induce pain symptoms then and all the symptoms of fibromyalgia, brain fog and fatigue by not by playing a very loud startling noise that jarred them out of every time the they're about to get into deep sleep, they played that noise so they wouldn't get into that deep sleep. They did another study where they did it with REM sleep. REM sleep didn't seem to cause a problem, but when they got it, didn't get into the non-REM sleep, they repeated that same study in 1998 in middle-aged women and were able to reproduce that. So it's so interesting how the power of sleep can play a significant role. Well, I was going to say my favorite study out there is they took a group of people, uh, two groups, and they sleep deprived one group, and then they got the other group drunk. Um, and so at baseline, they gave them all cognitive tests. And then, you know, they repeated at different levels. And what they found was the drunk group actually performed better than the sleep deprived group. So that should give you an idea of how important sleep is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it actually more important? I mean, without it, is you perform worse than when you're drunk. Yeah. And there's a, do you, what, what do you know about the effect of sleep on immune function? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Uh, huge. I mean, it goes back to your metabolic. I mean, your sleep. So our circadian rhythm controls all of your like hormones and releases and all of that. So, and your sleep is really where your body heals itself with it. So yeah, sleep is, (laughs) sleep is really important in keeping healthy and keeping your immune system as healthy as well. So many different things that sleep so important for and you're talking about sleep hygiene and trying to keep a consistent schedule. There are so many competing things in the modern world now that make it harder. I think trying to have that consistency and for those who have fibromyalgia listening, that is so important. I just wrote before I came, left clinic today, a work restriction for somebody who uh, has to drive an hour to work works in a prison system hour back and they because of shortages are having to work normally just eight hour shifts first shift which is great but often are kind of semi forcing them to work back to back 16 hour shifts sometimes four or five shifts of these in a week and just exhausted and i had to say hey fibromyalgia eight hours it's hard for a healthy person to withstand somebody who is not prone to fibromyalgia but for somebody who is, that is going to be very intolerable in having to just be an advocate to say, this is what somebody can do. And that's just what their body can handle. And it's too much stress otherwise, too, trying to get home, getting good sleep hygiene. And then I think, too, with the struggles of caring for 
loved ones that are real world problems, having newborns that struggle, uh, babies that are colicky, illnesses that happen. I just had a patient I saw just today who started with the weekend. We had daylight savings, our adjustment then had also and started getting a headache on Monday after a Saturday night and then was getting up two days in a row at 4 a.m. to do workout programs, then never got into that deep sleep and now came in with these three days of this migraineous headache, started with that schedule and using some medicine to temporize that, but also just recognizing, okay, tonight and tomorrow night, you got to get to bed sooner, try to catch up on your sleep and just that education. So much more that we could talk about today as we're wrapping up the interview and discussion with Dr. Brittany Meyer, sleep specialist. Living with fibromyalgia is challenging, extremely challenging, extremely frustrating. And the approach that I try to take is starting with education and then with education, recognizing that there's usually multiple problems. This is very complicated. There are many moving parts to be aware of, and these can change from time of the year. People who are more physically active in the summer and getting more steps often have less restless leg syndrome symptoms and often sleep better. There's sleep hygiene, restless leg syndrome, sleep apnea, among others. Here's some final thoughts that Dr. Meyer has for us. I hope people listening realize like how much good sleep can actually affect other aspects of your health because it really can affect every other aspect of your health. And that's what I love about sleep is it's something that is so simple that really can make a huge impact on it. So, and I thank you so much for having me. I mean, sleep's my passion that I love talking about it. So I hope everybody listening enjoyed and learned a little something today. <laughs> I they, They've learned a lot and maybe we can have you on again some other time. Well, thank you very much. Sounds great. As we finish this series on sleep, I hope you have learned several things and also want to have some self-reflection and self-assessment on how your sleep is doing. One way to measure this are activity monitors. Those can be very fancy like an Apple Watch or less expensive activity monitors like Fitbits that can record your sleep. If you already have a smartphone, there are apps like the Sleep Cycle that use a microphone listening to movement. They can actually record sound. And if somebody is snoring, they can actually record the sounds of snoring as well. That can help get an idea when you're going to bed, how consistent your sleep schedule is, how often you are waking up at night, and how many hours of sleep you're getting every night. A lot of people underestimate how their sleep is. They may feel they're getting more than they actually are. And they may remember the one night where they got nine hours, but forgot the several nights where they may have only gotten three to five hours of sleep. I had recalled many patients where they've checked this and will say, I thought I got eight hours of sleep, but according to my activity monitor, 
It said I hardly slept at all, and in further discussion, it revealed that they actually had restless leg and periodic limb movement disorder. As Dr. Meyer said, restless leg is that feeling of having to move your legs that's uncomfortable, that's relieved with movement, that gets worse the longer you're sleeping or laying in there. Periodic limb movement disorder occurs in most people who have restless leg syndrome, and it's the movement of the legs throughout the night that often prevents people from getting into deep sleep. What we understand is that poor sleep usually precedes pain. Studies have looked at this question because many people will say, hey, the reason I don't sleep well is because I am in pain. But is the reason you are in pain because you are not sleeping well. And studies have showed that it is the first. Usually a history of poor sleep precedes the development of pain, often by a couple years. Sometimes it happens suddenly. Sometimes somebody has a short interval from a change in their sleep schedule or sleep disruption leading to development of a regional pain syndrome like a migraine or contributing to a fibromyalgia flare-up. I would strongly consider doing a self-assessment with a two-week sleep journal, tracking your sleep to see where you are at. I have an app that I use on my Apple Watch that helps monitor sleep, which is called Sleep Watch. And it helps assess many factors, including what your heart rate was, how much movement you had during the night. You also can give a self-assessment in the morning, how rested you are. You can then use that to look at a pattern over time. They can actually give you a score on how the quality of your sleep was. So these are one of many tools that you can use as we talked about Treatment of fibromyalgia is multifaceted. There's a comprehensive approach where sleep is just one of the many ways that we can help optimize your recovery and your healing from fibromyalgia. Dr. Meyer mentioned treatments for restless leg syndrome include seizure medications. In particular, medications are approved are gabapentin and pregabalin, which are shown to be quite effective in helping with restless leg and periodic limb movement disorder, and also has been improved for treatment of fibromyalgia. Other medications, as she called them, more Parkinson-like medications, are directly acting on the dopamine receptor, and they work to help with restless leg symptoms as well. One is called Ropinerol, also brand name is Requip, as well as Pramipexol, which the brand name is Mirapex, they work differently and have their own specific side effects that you'd want to discuss with your physician. These are medications that were approved in treatment of adults, but like many medications used in pediatrics, they are used often off-label because by the time they were found to be effective in children, they often were off-patent and the drug companies didn't push for getting FDA approval. Medications like gabapentin actually have been used safely in neonates who are going through procedures in the 
neonatal intensive care unit, for example. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. There is so much more we could cover in regard to sleep. If you enjoyed it, please hit the like, follow, and subscribe button. Please share this with others because there are many others out there struggling who don't have this education, this information, and hopefully this can help them on their journey, just as it's helping you on your journey if you have fibromyalgia. And you can share this with friends who don't understand what you're going through and hopefully now can grow in their understanding, which for many may have been years of struggle. If you have any questions, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail if you'd like some clarification on any of the past episodes. If you have any topics that you'd like to be covered on future episodes, and if you just want to share positive feedback on how this podcast has helped you on your journey, listening to this podcast, whether it is while you are in the car, in the train, in the plane, folding laundry, going for a walk, or just taking a break at work, whenever and wherever that is, I have just been a pleasure to have you invite me on your journey. And until next time, go Team Fibro.